We are thankful once again to be joining together as a church family to celebrate the goodness and the grace of God. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, and I'll read beginning at verse 9 to verse 13 or 14. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, or dearly loved, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Today we're going to be looking at Peter beginning to teach us how to engage with culture and how to engage with one another. It can be difficult to engage with this world. So many questions come up. How do we live in this world, as Peter says, among the Gentiles? Do I go there? Do I watch this? How do I spend my life? Do I read that? Do I sing that? Do I listen to what I listen to? How do I engage the world? Or you may be listening this morning and say, I'm just tired of the world. I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired of going to this place and living among the Gentiles and I don't know how I can continue. Or you may be saying to yourself, how do I teach the next generation? How do I teach my children? How do I talk to my, my teenagers? Um, how do we discuss this as a church family? That how to engage um, the world? How to, how to be among the Gentiles? How do we live with faith and not fear? That's what Peter is going to do in the rest of the letter. He's going to teach us to engage with the world after he spent a chapter and a half praising God with the great gospel through Jesus Christ. And what Peter does is he, he introduces us in how to engage with the world with two words. Two words. Beloved and submit. How do we engage in the world in the big picture? Well, we're to know that we're beloved. An old-fashioned word meaning that we are just those who are dearly loved. But we are also those who are called to submit. And submission becomes a main theme that works itself through the rest of the letter. So this morning, we're going to be looking at what it is to be dearly loved. And then next week, Lord willing, what it is that believers are called to submit as we read to every human authority. First of all, we're going to be looking at pilgrim people, a pilgrim people who are deeply loved. And then we'll see that, a, that because we're deeply loved, we're a pilgrim people that are deeply impacted. 
a Pilgrim people deeply loved and a Pilgrim people who are deeply impacted. As we discuss today's main theme, living among the Gentiles, knowing that we are deeply loved and deeply impacted. Living among the Gentiles, deeply loved and deeply impacted by God's great gospel. First of all, we are a people, or we are a pilgrim people who are deeply loved. We're a pilgrim people who are deeply loved. Peter's going to speak to us two main truths. First of all, that we are a pilgrim people, and then secondly, we are deeply loved. Remember the two main themes that I think are part are, that are that are found in the book of Peter um, are first of all we're deeply loved, and secondly we're called to submit. The two main themes that run through the letter of Peter as we live and engage in this world. So Peter first of all says we're a pilgrim people. Why does he say that we're a pilgrim people? I think for three reasons. First of all. He reminds us that we're a pilgrim people so that we can be realistic about ourselves. So that we can be realistic about ourselves. How often do we think of ourselves as pilgrims? How often do I think of myself as a pilgrim? As, as one who is not at home in this world. Something's off with this world. I'm different. We hold different beliefs. We live differently. Something's out of place. This is not our final destination. We're going to move on. This is not our final home. I think when Peter starts, dear friends, I urge you to live as strangers and exiles. We're not at home. And because he's talked so much about the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's, he's actually leading us to a place of confession. And he's saying, we often don't live as pilgrims. We can often live as if this place is our final home, where we will find our place of belonging and where we will find our final happiness. D.A. Carson writes a book, Christ and Culture Revisited, and he talks about how our culture understands freedom and how it impacts Christians. He says the democratic tradition in the West fostered a great deal of freedom from Scripture God, tradition, and assorted moral constraints. That's what it is to be in the West. We're, we're free from all of this. He goes on to say, it encourages freedom to do your own things. It encourages freedom to hedonism, the love of pleasure, or self-centeredness, or consumerism. By contrast, Carson says, the Bible encourages freedom from self-centeredness from idolatry, greed, and sin, and freedom toward living our lives as those who bear God's image and have been transformed by His grace. Our greatest freedom will be doing God's will. How much are we engaged in our culture where we forget that we're pilgrims? We forget that we're born again. We are called to sacrificially love God, and sacrificially serve others. How much is that part of our pilgrimage? If we're called to be realistic about ourselves, that we're pilgrims, and we often forget that we're pilgrims, we're also called to be realistic about what a pilgrim life looks like. We don't have time to go into a lot of this, but if, um, if you travel with us through the book of 1 Peter, 
you will see that Peter speaks about the pilgrim life uh, very honestly. He says the pilgrim life is a broken life and it is, a, it is often a suffering life. And it's, it's a life that won't ultimately fulfill. We'll, we'll feel a certain amount of emptiness as we live this life. For example, when Peter talks about submission, uh, he's going to talk about um, submission to slaves or of slaves to masters or wives to husbands or, or the government. We have to remember that when Peter wrote this, they were under the Roman government, very wicked government. In other words, it was less than an ideal time to submit. Or when he talks about masters, he says, what happens if you're under a cruel master? Or he says, with husbands and wives, what happens if you're married to an unbelieving husband? In other words, this life of pilgrimage is not lived out in the ideal. We will live before or under a broken government. We will live under cruel people. We will live often in less than ideal circumstances within our relationships. Peter is not only honest that we're not often, we don't often think of ourselves as pilgrims, but he's also honest to say that this pilgrimage will be lived out in very difficult circumstances. When he writes about the world or the government or marriages, he's not talking about marriages at their best or the world at its best. Our lives will be lived out in the trenches, in less than ideal circumstances, with less than ideal outcomes. Peter asks a very interesting question a little later on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. He asks the question, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Isn't that a very interesting question? Who's going to harm you if you devote yourself to good? This was Peter's answer. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, that's the pilgrimage. The pilgrimage is often lived out in less than ideal circumstances. We think we would be congratulated for doing good works, but we live in a world that will hate our good works and we will suffer for righteousness. If we're to be realistic about our lives, that we're a pilgrim people, and we're to be realistic about our pilgrim lives, that it will be a time of suffering and it will be a time of incompletion, then finally we can also see that we can be realistic about our lives with one another. I think this is what's interesting about Peter describing us as pilgrims. First of all, he's not saying that we can't enjoy the world. God gives us so many blessings that we can enjoy. But when we understand that we're pilgrims, and when we understand that we live a pilgrim life, then we can, under, then we can have mercy with one another. In fact, that's how Peter ends um, the first section in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How much do we extend mercy to one another? Because we are pilgrims. Isn't it true that sometimes uh, the gospel creates so many more questions in our lives? In a sense, it was easy as unbelievers. You just went along with everything. But what does it mean to actually live as a pilgrim? I'll give another example from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse um, 8. It says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. What exactly does it mean to that love covers a multitude of sins. When do you confront sin? And when does love cover a multitude of sins? In other words, it's not easy to live out this pilgrim life. What does it mean to submit to the government? 
What does it mean to submit as slaves to masters or wives to husbands or even husbands to wives? What is all, how exactly are we to live that out? And so Peter says we're to be realistic with one another. If we're a pilgrim people, we're also a deeply loved people. I think this is one of the key words, just one word, beloved. I know in our translation that I read, it says dear friends, but that's not deep enough. It has to be deeper. You have to use the old English with this. It's beloved. It's dearly loved. We are dearly loved people. This pilgrim people who are often oppressed and suffering and and just a broken people, and, and people filled with questions of how to engage and live among the Gentiles, Peter says, I first of all want you to know that you are not only a pilgrim people, but you are a deeply loved people. You are a deeply loved people who are free to love God and live in this world under his love. You can imagine Peter uh, writing the first chapter and a half, and he's just talking about how deeply loved they are. If I were to summarize how deeply loved they are and what Peter wrote uh, in the first chapter and a half, I think uh, a good uh, story that Jesus told is, you may remember the, the, the religious man as he prayed before God. This, is, this was his prayer, this religious leader as he stands before God and he prays. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. What was this righteous man saying to God? This righteous man was saying to God, God, this is how much you are to love me. This is how much you are to love me because this is how much I have done for you. That's not 1 Peter chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Instead, there was this tax collector and he stood a ways away he would not even raise his eyes to heaven. And then he says this, I kept, he kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a summary of 1 Peter. That's a summary of how deeply loved we are. What was the tax collector telling God? Unlike the, the righteous religious leader who said, God, this is how much you are to love me because this is how much I've done for you. This tax collector says to God, I'm deeply loved. You have filled my life with mercy. Once I was dead, but you have given me new life. Once I was in bondage to sin, but you redeem me. I have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Once I was without mercy, but now you have given me mercy. You can imagine how that would inspire that generation and our generation. That yes, we're a pilgrim people, but we are deeply deeply loved. Imagine these people who are oppressed, broken, messy, sinful, and Peter pours into their life this deep and rich love of God. And yes, they may be hated and they may be rejected, dishonored, and broken in their heart, but Peter comes to them and says, you are deeply loved. Bethel Music writes a song, um, and I actually forget the name of the song, but here are the lyrics. It says, I rest my soul on Jesus when the mountains shake. I put my trust in Jesus the moment I awake. And when my soul is lost at sea, he will be my rock. My vision be in Christ alone. The grace is all we've got. 
This grace is all we've got. His love is like a mighty ocean. His love for me will never stop. Oh, his arms are strong enough to carry me through it all by the grace of God. You and I may be pilgrims, but you and I in Christ are deeply loved. His love is like a mighty ocean. His love for me will never stop. His arms are strong enough to carry you through it all by the grace of God. Pilgrims, deeply loved. If we're pilgrims who are deeply loved, then we are also pilgrims who will be deeply impacted. Sometimes the shallowness of our Christian life and sometimes knowing or living a life where we don't often think that we're pilgrims and we live for this world more than we live for the world to come is often because we do not, we are not deeply impacted by the mercy and by the life that we have received in Jesus Christ. That's the subtle teaching of what Peter is saying here this morning. When we know that we're pilgrims, yes, we are pilgrims. And when we know that we are deeply loved, we will be a deeply impacted people. And Peter talks about two ways in the rest of verse 11 and 12 that we are deeply impacted. What are the two ways that we're deeply impacted? The first way that we're deeply impacted is we live as pilgrims with humility. We live as pilgrims with humility. I have a question. What is your greatest battle for holiness? Where does that battle take place? If we were to listen to the church, we would say that the greatest battle lies out there somewhere in the world. Isn't Peter very interesting here? He says in verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. That's what we've just talked about. Dearly loved, beloved, deeply loved, those who have received mercies. I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war, where? Where, where would we say that the primary war is waged? From sinful desires that wage war against your soul, against my soul. The greatest battle is not out there. You could have hibernated all winter in your house and said, I am not going to enter the world and I'm not going to be among the Gentiles. And Peter says, you still would not, you would still have to be waging war because the greatest battle is not out there. And that's the greatest encouragement as well as the greatest challenge. If the greatest battle is in here and we begin to learn what it is to abstain and conduct ourselves honorably, then we can go anywhere where God sends us and we can abstain and live honorably before him. We are to live as pilgrims with humility, knowing that it is the war that wages in our souls that is the greatest battle that takes place. The greatest temptations, the greatest battles are not the world. It is not others in your life. You could separate yourself from this world. You could separate yourself from the family and you could go up anywhere and just isolate yourself and that war will never stop. Because we have sinful desires. The word desires there are these unbridled passions. We hand ourselves over to the, 
to the unbridled sinful passions. And the sinful passions are not just um, lust, fleshly patterns. Um, there are sinful desires, broadly speaking. What, what, what happened? What did Peter say in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1? Therefore, get rid of all malice. That's a, that's a, that's a, that sometimes becomes an unbridled sinful passion. We're just mean. We're just filled with malice. Not to everybody. You're having an argument with someone, and then all of a sudden your phone rings, and then you pick it up and you say, hey, how are you doing? We're not malice on the phone, but we're mal. We're destroying this relationship here. Or we can be filled with deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. And this is what Peter says. He says, abstain. He says, stop it. But that's the battle. The words are rolling out. And we know we need to stop it. This unbridled passion of sin coming out of us. But we don't. And it seems like we can't. That's the battle that's being waged in our hearts. I think this is actually a great gospel moment. Just like 1 Peter's a great gospel letter. For example, we talked at the beginning, how do you talk to the next generation about what it is to live in the world? Now this takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of discussion. But sometimes it can basically go with, let's say, our teenagers that we want to hide them from everything. And what we don't tell them is, your battle's not out there. Your battle's not on the computer. Your battle's not ultimately in school. Your battle's right here in your own heart. It's your desires. And that becomes a gospel moment because then you can fill their lives with the truth of 1 Peter chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 10. And you can say, you know, once we were dead, but now we're alive. Once we had no mercy, but now we have mercy. And it's the mercy of God that sustains you in that battle. And you talk about Jesus Christ and he has set you free, not only from, from the, for the forgiveness of sins, but from the power of sin. And so when we're speaking with our children or our teenagers or one another, and we understand that my greatest battle is in my heart and in my soul and in my mind, we can tell our children that and we can say, that's my greatest battle and that will be your greatest battle. And that's sometimes when I get unrighteously angry and I need to come before God and I need to confess my sins in the name of Jesus Christ and I need his forgiveness and I need your forgiveness so that we can raise up by God's grace the next generation to be among the Gentiles seeking to glorify God by conducting themselves honorably and not running away from it and engaging the culture and engaging the world, not only through holiness, but as we'll see, through the goodness of God. In other words, Peter teaches us that if the war is waged in here, that we will be humble pilgrims. Humble before the world, humble before God. And we will start each day by saying, God, we need your mercy. I once was not your people, but now I am your people. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So possess me today, God, and give me the grace to live that out. And that becomes our prayer when our children go to school or when we're talking with our teenagers. 
and the next generation, or we're just having relational conversations. It becomes a great gospel moment because we know that we're pilgrims who are dearly loved and that we need to live as pilgrims with humility. And that leads us finally that if we are impacted to live as pilgrims with humility, because we know where the greatest battle is, then we also see that we are greatly impacted to live as uh, among the Gentiles with courage. The impact, we're to live as pilgrims with humility and we're to live among the Gentiles with courage. This is where everything's been leading to in these two verses. Verse 12, conduct yourselves honorably. If the negative is abstain, then we are to be proactive by conducting ourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, Peter explained that a little later on, um, and in fact, we talked about it. Will they harm you um, if you are devoted to do what is good? But even if you suffer for, what, for righteousness, they're going to misunderstand your goodness. But even if they misunderstand and even if they slandered you as evildoers, listen, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. You know what's amazing about the life of Jesus? Is he was not only holy, sinless, perfectly righteous. And he took his righteousness to the cross for unrighteous sinners like ourselves. But Jesus was good. First Peter is not just about holiness. It's not just about righteousness. That's verse 11. Abstain. Live holy lives. Live righteous lives. But then Peter goes on to the positive and he says, conduct yourselves honorably. Even though you may be misunderstood by the world, but conduct yourselves honorably so that you will live good lives. They will observe your good works. It begs, it absolutely begs the question. Peter, even at this point, he says, this is how we're to be engaged. What good, this is the question, what good works does the world see from me? Do they see me as a pilgrim? What good works does the world see from the Grace Bible Church family? If Grace Bible Church went missing, would they be missed in the community? If you went missing from your neighborhood, would you be missed in your neighborhood? You see, God was not, or Jesus was not only holy and righteous, but he was abundant in his good works. They couldn't believe the mercy that Jesus showed. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He also talks about salt. We are to be the salt of the world. Salt enhances. Salt brings value. You know, when you, you put salt on your food, it enhances the flavor as Christians, we're to live among Gentiles and we're to enhance the flavor of this world. 
That's what Peter's going to spend his time talking about in the rest of this letter. How do we enhance the flavor? You may remember the story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25, and he's talking about the sheep and the goats and separating the sheep and the goats, and he says to the sheep, he says, when, you, um, when, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was, a, when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, um, you looked after me. And when I was in prison, you came to visit me. Listen to what he says to them. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We are not to be retreating. We are to be advancing honorably, even though it may be misunderstood, to do good works so they will glorify God on the day that he visits, on the day that he returns. Do we look after the poor? Do we notice the hungry and the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, those in prison? Can it be said of Grace Bible Church family that we are good and faithful. It's not enough to be faithful. It's not enough to be holy and righteous. But as pilgrims living among Gentiles, we have this incredible opportunity to show the good works of Jesus in righteousness, but in the goodness of God. You may have heard the announcement this past week that Grace Bible Church has an opportunity and we, you know, we, we pray and we pray for the Lord's leading, but to purchase the Knox's building. We are so thankful for this opportunity, even though it comes in difficult times. And while we're thankful for the opportunity to purchase a building, and let's say by God's grace, he allows us to purchase that building. Will we be good? Will we be faithful and good? Because if not, it's all a waste. It doesn't mean anything. How are we, a church family, engaged in the word, the living and enduring word, the pure word? Yes, doctrine matters. It impacts our lives so that when we go in this world, we want to conduct ourselves honorably and with good works to shine the light of Jesus, to enhance the neighborhood around the church, to enhance where we live in the neighborhoods that we live in. You might have a certain people group or a certain, um, there, there are those who are treated unjustly and you, you may have them on your heart. And we pray for you that God would give you grace to do a good work. And as the church is sent out into the community around the church building or neighborhood or to various people groups or various people who are experiencing injustices, that when we spread out, people would say, well, where are you from? I'm a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at Grace Bible Church, we want to be a people who impact, impact culture. Enjoy culture, yes, and impact culture. I just want to close with this thought because it's not just as a church, but it's in the small things that we do. Many of us are um, locked down for a while, um, for the next little while. And we thank the Lord for the, the wisdom that he has given those around us to, to guide us through a very difficult time. And as I was reading through 1 Peter uh, this past week, I came across 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. I think this is a COVID 
good moment or a, a COVID moment where we can live out the goodness of God just in the circumstances that we may find ourselves in. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaining. A lot of us are living closely with one another. It's not enough to be holy. That's fantastic. It, it never diminishes. But are you hospitable during this time without complaining? Are you continuing to welcome those who have, you have been with for the last month and a half? And you say, I just want to serve you. I want to be hospitable. And I want to stop the complaining. I want love to cover a multitude of sins. So the goodness of God as a church family that we may have to impact, to be a church that, that impacts a community. But it also happens in the small things. Are we a 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, COVID lockdown people? I want to welcome people, those people who are closest to me, and be hospitable to them without complaining to the glory of God. How are we balanced? How are we ready for action? How do we set our hope on Christ? And we have seen that we are people who are deeply loved, and we are people who are deeply impacted. May God give us grace to live according to his will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these moments. Thank you for those who listen. Help us to be a people who know that we're deeply loved. You have shown us mercy. But help us to be a deeply impacted people that we abstain from sinful desires, but we also conduct ourselves with honor as we seek to explode the goodness of God and glorify your name. Help those who are suffering. Help those who are discouraged. Help those who may hear this message and feel overwhelmed. But it's not by our works, but it's by the grace and strength that God gives us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad that you joined us this morning. I encourage you to join us tomorrow night. We're going to have a, a church-wide prayer meeting. You can contact um, Audra's email, the, the church office email, and sign up for that. also encourage you to look at our podcast. Our podcast is primarily used right now to discuss what, we pre what I've preached on today and, and just look at how um, we can apply it further into our lives. And then please also know we continue to pray for you. And if you have needs that you would like us to pray for that we can help you out with, please contact us and we would love to serve you in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless.